If you are a weekend surfer, a pro surfer, or like me, an urban surf addict, and you'd like to know the nitty gritty about the behind the scenes of surfing, this is the podcast for you. In each episode of Amongst the Waves, I bring you guests and their stories of how being involved in the surfing industry has not always been a direct path filled with the glamour you see on Instagram. These are their own stories in their own words from people who live and love surfing. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today I have on the show with me, Candice Land. Welcome, Candice. Welcome. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I know a little bit about you and I've we've got connections through the surfing world, but I want to know about your business side of things and what you do with business, as well as prior to that being an athlete. Ooh la la. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you start? <laughs> See, my brain just go, what? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I am, I guess, I guess, you know, in Western culture, we tend to always start with our job title. So I'm an accredited exercise physiologist and exercise scientist. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I've been in this industry or in that world for a really long time, um, almost 20 years, which is a little bit mind-blowing. Yeah, wow. um, Yeah. so pr- at the moment, my current business is the female surfer, but I've been working as a clinical exercise physiologist and working in rehab and musculoskeletal rehab and athlete performance for like a really long time. But I've really honed in on gender-specific uh, rehab and athlete performance over probably the last seven years. And that came about from um, just working on t- at contests and events primarily and just seeing the fluctuations in athletes um, according to kind of different events and just mm-hmm. seeing the differences in how uh, female athletes needed to handle competition pressure versus male athletes and where the two would kind of go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that kind of started my journey more into um, the gender-specific training, which is what I kind of specialise in now. Yeah, so that niche narrowed it down. Narrowed it down, yeah. And um, which is funny because I probably should have known as an athlete. It's really interesting. I sometimes look back and go, why didn't the light bulb come on then? But I think because I was in so much of our development as female athletes is in like a, a very male-dominated sporting arena. I had very little access to female coaches and female mentors. And so... And kind of even when I went to uni, it was the same sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting that it's only now as I reflect back on my performance as an athlete that I go, wow, like I wish I'd known then kind of what I know now. And I probably would have pulled back with less injuries. I would have had more longevity. I would have been able to handle competition pressure better um, because my background as an athlete was in martial arts. So it was a contact sport and right. Um, really kind of confronting and really challenging to manage that anaerobic power and that explosiveness um premenstrually yeah um so yeah it was yeah it was an interesting journey yeah so where did the jump to surfing come into it then have you surfed all your life or no no so here's a bit of a background um i actually grew up in the tropics in far north queensland so i did pretty much every sport other than surfing Uh, but when I was in my mid-20s I moved to Ireland for a little while and wanted to do something completely different and I heard the beaches were really nice and that you could surf at some of these beaches and I was like you know what I'm going to give it a crack and I ended up um, actually moving in with the locals that ran the surf school there and that's how I got into surfing. And when was that? Oh good golly (laughs) I was 25 I think I was around 25 so yeah, 15 years ago. 
How old am I now? 15, 20 years ago. That's mental. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Some sometime around then. <laughs> I'll tell you a little bit about how I got into surfing and when I got into surfing. So mine was I've been an exercise, um, corrective exercise coach or personal trainer and check practitioner for 18 years now. Always loved surfing. Grew up in Canberra, used to go down to the coast, Tathra Beach every summer, would sit on the beach, not getting in the water um, and I also have a fear of fish in the water fear of fish biting mm. me not not sharks it's just mm. fish so I didn't get in the water my family like my brother surfed but my family water skied and I still wouldn't really get into the river much I was one of the only people my dad could not teach how to water ski um, but loved surfing and loved following it so I moved down to Melbourne from the Gold Coast where I lived for six years I moved down to Melbourne 20 23 years ago now started going to Bells every year watching the surfing but didn't actually start to learn to surf until I got the job at Urban Surf two and a half, three years ago. So both, most of my surfing experience is pool-based. Interesting. Interesting. But the clinical background, so I worked with um, like standard across the board, people wanting to lose weight, people wanting yep. to tone up. Um, and with the Czech background, always got people with back injuries and core conditioning, yep. particularly women but always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to work with high-end professional surfing athletes, but didn't see where I could take that path or where I could get into that because live here in Melbourne in the city, not close to the beach and didn't really see an opportunity until Urban Surf opened. And I went, okay, this is my in. I've got to learn how to surf and I've got to learn how to swim because I didn't learn how to swim until then either. Mm. so yeah there's I find there's a lot of people particularly women who are getting into our sport and now I we know for a fact during COVID it's one of the biggest uptakes of any sport in the world is women in surfing in the last two years or so but mm. so many people coming into it at that what we would call a more mature age mm. the fastest growing age group I think is 30 to 45 years of age yeah wow yeah yeah, yeah. so it's a really and that's a really interesting time when you think about um Life cycles. Life cycles and lifestyle-wise what's happening in a female's life as well. Yeah. Mm. And, then, you know, like you still have a lot of, you still have quite a high entry level, you know, that um, 45 to 55-year-old age group as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, when suddenly they, they have more time for themselves, they're no longer sitting on the beach watching their husband in the surf, they get the chance to kind of give it a go themselves. Um, yeah, so it is, it is an interesting journey. And also I've been talking to, um, and you might find this as well, but I've been talking to some of the um, surf coaches locally, like, do you know, Belen Fuller? Mm -hmm. um, Heard of, yep. Yeah. Um, and she's got this nice little project um, that she's starting. But it's interesting the number of women who start surfing that don't have the physical conditioning to commence surfing and, and how much that plays into their journey and their experiences as they learn to surf. Yeah. So um, it's something that we've, we've been chatting about a lot yeah when I put this post up on my Instagram a couple of days ago what is one thing that you want to improve in your surfing and what keeps coming back to me continually is to get over my fear of surfing or fear of bigger waves mm. or fear of being out there in the ocean and so it's yes it's a physiological thing that physically oftentimes we come into a sport like this with other things that we've carried from earlier in our life injuries or emotional trauma that we hold in our tissue that are disables us from being able to move our hips and pelvic area but also there's still a fear factor around it oh yeah for sure for sure and it's really interesting so over the last um six months I think since like this, this November December last year 
I got involved with the Her Wave initiative through Surfing New South Wales. And that enabled me to run workshops all up and down the east coast of Australia for six months and start to really accumulate stories and experiences from female surfers. Mm. I've posted about this a little bit um, on my social media. And, it's, and I've also run um, off the back of that a survey to the general female surfing community as well. And that's um, created some really interesting um, I guess it's outlined some really interesting information around uh, that fear factor and some of the factors that might actually kind of be involved in that. I think it can be tied back to also a lack of physical conditioning. I think mm -hmm. that um, the fitter you are, the more confident you feel in the water. Totally. And when I've spoken to, because Chelsea Hedges and I have had a long, have had lots of conversations about this. And I often talk to some of the local girls around here about how, when the big swell comes and how they handle it. Um, and one of the things that Chelsea Hedges has said is that uh, swim training and maintaining her fitness has been, was, a no, was like one of the biggest factors in her feeling comfortable in bigger surf. She mm. knew that she had the fitness to be able to handle it. She had the paddle capacity to be able to get herself out of dangerous situations. Um, she had the duck dive capacity from the upper body strength to get herself out of, um, you know, to get herself under, you know, big, big waves. waves. Yep. Yeah. But she knew that if her leg rope snapped, if anything happened, she had the capacity to swim herself back to shore. And mm -hmm. to this day, I still see her going out into the ocean with fins. So it's interesting that um, in the realm where breath training and, and all that and all of that is 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 so um, popular in terms of enhancing um, confidence in the ocean, and it definitely has and a massive element in that and performance yeah. as well. I think I find that. As a female's physical condition improves and her level of fitness improves, so does systemically her sense of confidence in, in the water. And that's something that I've just found um, watching a female's journey as she um, progresses with her conditioning. It's almost a missing link, isn't it? You've got to have those two. They, they go hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's like, you know, when you haven't been in the surf for a little while and mm -hmm. you start paddling and you feel really uh, unfit, slow that paddle fitness and it instantly yeah. makes you feel unconfident in the water because you're like oh my god I'm gassed already like how am I meant to get out there and mm -hmm. I think it's important and I ask women as well to understand whether their fear has a cyclical nature or not mm -hmm. women have this um the way that we utilize our brain is very different to a male and the way that we assess threat and access information is 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 really quite different so we kind of already have this capacities for hypervigilance which can be really beneficial mm -hmm. but if it's if it's hardened or tool consuming it can be a little bit challenging and detrimental performance yeah exactly. and also uh, whether it's cyclical so there's a couple of things that change during a menstrual cycle phase that can also increase that sense of fear and overwhelm in the water so just having some strategies in place around that so you've got your physical conditioning and fitness but then also strategies to narrow your focus so um, having a focus tool in place which you you might find as well with your surf coaching yeah you know one thing talk about this in my blog yeah one thing yeah focus on one thing take the overwhelm away from oh my gosh I'm serving there's so many people out here I'm gonna look like who's a, looking like at a me beginner. yeah beginner um I'm you know I'm not confident I'm feeling you know this I'm feeling that and we really attach a lot of feeling to sports participation that's another thing as well 
um, which can drive like anxiety profiles and things. But then also recognize that you may have a sensitivity to anxiety at different phases of your menstrual cycle and different phases of your lifespan. So if you're starting to learn how to surf when you're perimenopausal, mm-hmm. you know, that could be, your fear could be coming down to your physiology and you can, you can use that knowledge to develop tools to support your journey. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. <laughs> I want to go back to one of the things that you mentioned there, because it's a really interesting factor. Female's brain is different to a male's brain and how, in terms of how we interpret danger. Yeah. And I know that in terms of um, when we talk, like I, within my coaching, I talk about archetypes and, and how we fall into different roles that we play in life. And we talk about archetypes being a coat that you wear. So mother archetype for females, whether you're a mother physically or not, is a very strong archetype because we've got that feminine energy and we we want to mother. Do you think that that fear factor and that difference in our brain versus a male's brain is something that contributes to that fear going up at certain yes. times in the cycle? Yes, because it's... it's um... It's more of a prolific accumulation of information in terms of what's going on in the environment. So a male's brain is quite good at just tracking towards the the frontal lobe and back, and that's kind of how it assesses information. And that gives them capacity. Um, you know, they've got a, a clearer sense of direction. They're less likely to experience a sense of overwhelm. They have different relationships with fear, those sorts of things. For a woman, because uh, the way that um, I guess you could argue that um, it's in our design, obviously, to assess risk as mothers and as carers. And, you know, our role is to, you know, um, keep our family safe. Yeah. Um, and, and reproduce life. Yeah. And reproduce life. Exactly. Yeah. So we tend to pull a lot of information from different aspects and different um, components of the brain. So from a neurological perspective, that's a, that's a quite dense neurological load. Mm. Um, so that it can be a little bit overwhelming, even if you're thinking in terms of like, uh, like the sensory load on the brain as well. And the the limbic system. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All that stuff as well. Yeah. So, um, and, and also if you do, for example, have an anxiety sensitivity that increases premenstrually, then that whole system kind of just can can really kind of wind up break your light yeah yeah so who are the majority of the people that you work with at the moment well I work with the whole spectrum I'm really lucky and this is what I love so much about actually the way that um yeah the experience that I've been able to have it's really great um because uh I get to have a really broad spectrum overview of information, which I love because it enables me to see where the holes are. <laughs> and I go, yeah. oh, that's still missing. And oh, that's still missing. And oh, that's still missing. So I work with junior athletes um, all the way through to CT level athletes. And I've um, been fortunate enough to work with some of the best surfers in the world. And also, you know, your weekend warriors to your absolute beginners and kind of everything <laughs> in between. And I do work with both genders as well. I don't, I don't, um, you know, just solely work with, with females. So yeah, the whole broad spectrum is where I sit. <laughs> so are you clinically based with them or are you doing surf coaching like out on the beach with them as well? No, so I'm predominantly um, clinical based or or in the gym or I work with them online. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. So we have um, my, my, uh, my spectrum or my sphere of knowledge in terms of like on the beach 
is to actually just technically watch what's going on and understand it from a biomechanical point of view. Yeah. Or yep. I, and that, you know, that's how I would undertake a video analysis on the beach or something like that. It would be like, okay, I'm having this technical problem. Cool. I'll come and watch you at the beach or I'll come and film you at the beach. And then we'll break it down and go, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense why that might be happening. Yep. Tied up like something's not yeah. happening. Something's yeah. not activating properly. Yeah. 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 You can't, there's something going on here with your head rotation. That's not enabling whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And so much fun. I, that's the perspective that I come from as well as being in the water with them surf coaching at the level that I'm at at Urban Surf at the moment because I'm doing Learn to Surf, beginner one, beginner two, um, hoping to jump up into cruiser intermediate in summer. But I have to pull myself back from talking technically to people when I get people like Learn to Surfers because, like you said, you have to focus on one thing and oftentimes that's just understanding the surfboard before they even get in the water before I start to bring in, and I am able to do that a whole lot more now with our five-week programs because I'm seeing people on a continuing basis. But, yeah, for me, I've had to tone it down and stop talking as technically or anatomically because, um, yeah, that's not what people need at the level that I'm coaching them in the water. Outside the water, land-based stuff, I'm certainly doing that, but not inside the water. I think there is a real um, beauty to that to be able to put space around things. Remember before we were talking about white space and mm -hmm. um, when you uh, have this fascination with the human body and how it works, mm -hmm. you just want to dig deep, like <clears throat> go there kind of straight away. There yeah. is, and you'll know, and, and it's so funny how often um, lessons in life link back to movement. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're, when you're um, encouraging someone to move well, sometimes the unlocking piece for that human being is to just go where the greatest sense of ease is and to actually not try very hard at all. Mm -hmm. Like go where the space kind of is. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, in terms of instruction and, and verbal communication with athletes, it's like, just keep it simple and keep space around it. Give them the opportunity to kind of just be there. And absorb what you're saying in the first place yeah. rather than overlay with too much. Mm. So what do you think is the biggest thing that's overlooked or the often overlooked factors that should be considered when it comes to coaching females? Oh, yes. Or, okay. or from the athlete's perspective, like what is the most common thing that's the missing thing that you see from the people that you coach? So it's interesting because this, this at an athlete level, so if I'm on a, a CT event or a QS event, love to discuss with athletes what they're currently including in their training mm -hmm. and I see basically how their bodies are moving and what's uncoupling and what's kind of going on and it's really interesting how what I see with beginner to intermediate athletes some of that is still missing in highly competitive athletes right yeah um the latest thing that I'm finding or seeing is actually not gender specific. <laughs> wow. I see it in both male and females. And it's the ability to, um, it's core stability mm -hmm. and returning to good core function, mm -hmm. which often requires postural decompression. Those, mm -hmm. those, that type of terminology probably makes a lot more sense to you. Absolutely. But, but um, break it down a bit, yeah. Yeah, so surfing and surfing, um, involves a lot of paddling. So about 50% of a surf session is paddling. And so what we find is the actual 
um, tasks that are involved in surfing over time contribute to these certain postures that you get. So for example, paddling will um, lift your rib cage and tilt your pelvis forward. And, mm -hmm. and then you kind of dump into the lumbar spine and dump into the neck. And over time, you lose this, this postural awareness around lumbar pelvis stability, for example. It's just one kind of example. And being on um, your belly like that, you don't have to activate your core. That's right. And then you come up into a sitting, a sitting posture or for you and me, like if we go for a surf and then we come back and work at our desk and quite often you just dump back into the lumbar spine, but in a, in a sea-based posture and for athletes, they do that as well when they're traveling. So you kind of lose this sensitivity around the stability around the, the, the lumbar spine and the pelvis. And so, and in both of those positions, it's not an optimal, you're not going to get optimal core stability naturally or intrinsically the one that's that the core stability that works with the pelvic floor and the diaphragm and how it's all meant to intrinsically work naturally and stabilize your spine and distribute load and all those beautiful things so it's really interesting that the sport itself over time drives you away from good function mm -hmm. you don't know how to pull back into um, if you don't know how to return um, to the stable position return yes yep. yes and pull yourself away from from those sorts of postures yeah yeah it's an interesting conundrum as a coach because you have to not have to we're trying to en enhance or um, bring out the best performance in the athlete mm. without changing what makes them a good athlete in the first mm. place mm. but doesn't compromise their um, their health in the process so it's this balance mm. of is it functional and that's a very overused term I think in the last 10 years but it is true in this position like in this statement what's functional for them to win titles and win surfing competitions um, you have to train them to be that the best in that position but it might not be functional outside the water but how much does it compromise their ability to unwind those positions outside the water because yeah they're going to spend a lot of time in their professional life in mm. those positions and it needs to be performance based so that they earn money yeah. and win yeah. yeah and they but, need to train their tolerance for that and they yeah. do. So at the moment i'm doing the surf aid challenge with um chelsea hedges is on our team and, and obviously as a, a you know world champion world champion surfer she's had a lot of paddle experience right so elite athletes have this real efficiency um, with what they do. It doesn't mean that they, they're not going to throw themselves over their threshold because there's certain variables that will, will kind of throw them over that. So I always look at it from that threshold perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, they've, they've got to, you've got to be able to train that tolerance for that sort of activity, but you want to give them a chance to pull away from that threshold because away from the threshold is where you get recovery. Does yeah. that make sense? Absolutely. Um, so where you get how much sorry, how much dysfunction they're training into versus how much they pull out of. It's like, um, it's like when I, it's like me being a martial artist. If I, if I uh, kick a kick bag all day, every day, and then I don't give myself the chance to, to stretch and move and mobilize my hips and return to stability over time, I'm not going to be able to kick as well for as long as powerfully without giving myself a very, very, very sore hip. <laughs> so you know, you, you, you train though, you train your capacities, but part of training the capacity is giving yourself a chance to recover. And then concurrently, you, if you can come back to efficiency as part of your recovery, and mm -hmm. that's what I was talking about, about returning to core and, and decompressing yourself from paddle postures, for example, 
if you can bring yourself back from that threshold, you give yourself the opportunity to move back into a more efficient movement pattern and then you handle those loads a lot better. Yeah. And do you find it difficult to have athletes understand that their longevity in the sport is going to be compromised if they don't do that pulling back and decompressing? I think, I think that's changing. I think they're really starting to understand because I mean, you know what it feels like when your body's working really well and kind of when it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that there is still a culture within the conditioning world. And this will bring me back to what I was talking about before around space, but there's still a culture within the conditioning world that load, load heavy, load hard and and load fast. And, and um, the intention of like working hard, working harder is better kind of Mm. thing. Yeah. Um, where so yeah so there's still that kind of cultural and I mean I've 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 struggled with this as a professional myself because I know that load leads to adaptation and I and I know that um but where I have seen some of the most powerful change happen in the body is when somebody is able to access something within a state of ease Mm -hmm. when I just say to them I want you to do this as light as a feather and they just go boom and suddenly you know when they're not under compression when they're not under load when they get the chance to do something as light as a feather it just unlocks just unlocks something for them and suddenly they've got this improvement in capacity and a better capacity to handle load so um does that answer your question it does absolutely (laughs) so So that's one of the most common things that you're seeing at the moment is that inability to deload and decompress but core activation yeah 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 and look stretching and all that sort of stuff will do it to a certain level um yes but but having that yeah having that capacity and the two go hand in hand if you can if you can if you can come back to improving your postural alignment you will you will come back into your core a lot better uh naturally yeah yeah but we just we sit up here all the time in terms of the nervous system is really stimulated uh, the respiratory system is really stimulated. So we've got this upper respiratory pattern. So we, we have this, and women in particular, again, it comes down to how we assess stress and where we are at in terms of our hormone pro- profile or a hormone cycle. Um, you know, we sit up here all the time. Um, and so having the ability to kind of pull back into the body and, and shift back and shift away from that and come back to the senses is really important. So then I'm going to ask you, we talk about work in versus workout in the check program. Yeah. So working out being the harder physical expressing that Mm. stress Mm. and that is stress how do you coach someone in being back on the work inside of things and and getting them to understand how important that rest time or downtime or low load days yeah yes i just highlight to them that um recovery is where the change happens (laughs) it's not when you're it's not when you're in a high stress state be that induced by um, the environment or, or some external stressor or whether the stress is induced by exercise. That's not, in, when you're sitting there, that's not, where, that's not where your training adaptation happens. It happens when you're in rest and recovery. So if you're not giving yourself the chance to get back to that point, you're not going to get the adaptation that you're actually training for. You're going to drive yourself into overtraining and fatigue and, and overuse. Injury. Injury. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I explained to them is that from a motor control perspective, you want to have, it's, 
it's 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 great to have the strategies that are high volume, so high load, explosive training, loud, loud, loud to the sensory system, go, go, go. But in terms of being adaptable, in terms of, of being able to have movement strategies, a variety of movement strategies that are adaptable to the environment and what's happening around you, which is particularly important with surfers with different change, you know, changing surf conditions and which contest is like a different freaking is a different wave and you've got different to wave. Different, yeah. Yep. You have different. to have the yeah, you have to have the whole spectrum of of I call it sound. Um, but it's like the sensitivity. You have to be able to do the whole spectrum of movement. You have to be able to, yeah, high volume, high noise to the nervous system strategies are good. That's load and all that sort of stuff. But your body also needs to be able to mean, you know, be adaptable at the low load strategies as well. So, so an adaptable athlete is one that can turn the volume, you know, that can turn the volume up and turn the volume down and be able to stabilize and be good across that whole spectrum. Who do you think at the moment on the CT is the best example of that? Knowing that Steph won her eighth title today. Ah! <laughs> <Steph>. <laughs> Go Steph. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to say. Um, it's really, really hard to say because there's so many things that, there are so many factors that come into play on contest day. Yeah. So, you know, um, Carissa might have it all to, might have had it all you know all together all year but then something else has happened leading up to that contest and suddenly her strategies just aren't working anymore not to say that that's actually what's happened by any means but um as an example of yeah just an example yeah so it's it's really hard to say who's doing who's doing it who's doing it best um I just think that they're really smart and really switched on um more so than 20 years ago yeah they're just hungry for they're just open-minded and 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 hungry for information and and the, yeah I find surfers in general are really kind of open-minded to information almost too open-minded that they'll take anybody's information and then that in itself becomes a problem um but yeah they're really switched on like it's they're they're athletes athletes yeah yeah from the few athletes that I've worked with one of the things that I see happening is that thing there's that that they take on lots of different information from different coaches and different training programs. And one of my beefs is that they, people will, and this is not just athletes as well, but general population will do this, will jump into an online program, which is all well and good if they know their body really well, but then they follow the one thing because everybody else is doing it and not mm. get individually assessed. Mm. And so if you had someone who was wanting to be a professional surfer, what would you say the things that they need? And I know this is a massive thing that I've had with people as well is the lack of money. They feel like they can't afford things because there's a lack of money and they're not earning money on the tour and someone else is paying for them to be there. And there's a whole network of stuff that goes along emotionally with that. But who, like, if you were going to set somebody up, someone who's up and coming, what would you recommend for them in terms of where they spend their money to be the best professional asset they can be and to give them the best chance at that? Okay, so here's the, avatar that, here's the avatar that I'm thinking of um, in particular for that, for that question. I'm visualising a 13-year-old female surfer. Um, she's doing really well with, she's done really well with all the junior competitions, but she's at that point where she's like, I think I have a chance at this, so I'm, I'm going to go for it. Um, and that's generally the age where it is kind of make or break for athletes. So if you want to be on the CT, you're kind of setting yourself up from that age. From um, 13. 
Oh, easily, if not if not before. Um, and that's a really critical time because you're growing. <laughs> and for, for women, like you're going to, well, for both genders, you know, you, you're going to hit puberty around that time. And so there's all sorts of hormonal fluctuations. Yeah. Yeah. Around that time. You've just got to get the basics right. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated and you have to be able to self-care. Like do it smart. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest, I always um, do a nutritional screening, particularly with female athletes. Um, not that I'm a nutritionist and I won't go into micronutrients or anything like that, but I just want to have a look at um, what their food consumption is like, because obviously I want to make sure that they're not putting themselves at any sort of health risk. So I will always make sure that they've got really good nutrition and really good hydration. I want to be looking at things like their self-care around sleep and how that's going. I want to be looking at things like um, their environment, how they're handling stress. Um, these are all big, big picture things, low-lying fruit that if you get that right, it's going to make everything else easier. You're going to be able to train better. You're going to be able to recover better. You're going to be able to handle stress of competition better. You know, mm-hmm. so get, yeah, just get the, get the basics right. Um, and I would also say in terms of like uh, strength and conditioning training or surf training or surf conditioning, same deal. Get the foundations right. You want longevity in this sport. And if you want to be able to, um, yeah, if you want to be able to minimize your risk of injury over time and you want to be able to improve your longevity in sport, you kind of got to get the basics right. So you want to be making sure that you've got the framework right, that you've got stability where you need stability and mobility where you need mobility and you've got this tolerance to be able to handle the more explosive loads and the vestibular system and all that sort of stuff. So Yeah. And so the physical movements of where surfing's going now because we know it's going aerial. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, and you know what is fundamentally missing all the time is just that axial skeletal stability. It's just the stability between your head down to your pubic bone. Um, and coming back to that, if you've got that down pat, holy dooly, then that opens up a lot of things. So if we're talking about 13 and younger being the age where we need to start doing this, are you talking to parents about that sort of thing when you are coaching people? Yeah, I... Um, I did the um, one of my first surfing, no, not one of my first surfing events. I was really fortunate. The way that I kind of entered into the contest um, world was I was working with a couple of QS athletes and then did some training with the World Surf League medical team and then got asked to work on a CT event. And it was, and from that event, I was like, holy dooly, like this is really amazing. Um, this is how these athletes are moving. This is what's happening with the body. That's really fascinating. They get access to some incredible information because there are some hands down, mind blowing practitioners that work with the World Surf League. Like, yeah, um, through the DNS network. Yep. Oh, yeah. Just, and not even necessarily through the DNS. They're just exceptional. It's just honestly, their knowledge blows my mind. Um, so, um, so I was really interested then to know, okay, well, how far down is this, is this information filtering? Like mm-hmm. how, how, like at what age are people, at what age and at what competition level are people getting access to this information? Because, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on junior athletes uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to make it kind of thing. So I started doing the Oki Grom Pro was one of my first junior events. So I started, you know, working with the junior Groms because I just wanted to see, um, you know, where the gaps were and, 
how much information they were getting, you know, because yeah. they train a lot. They still do. They still do. I, I um, remember, you know, in part of my screening protocols with the athletes at events, junior athletes, I was always asking them how much, how much surfing, how many hours of surfing you're doing a week. And they're still doing 15 to 20 hours of surfing a week. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was your original question? Sorry. <laughs> so do you speak to the parents? Like who's getting the information? Oh, yeah, sorry, of where it's yeah, going yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes. So at that um, event and, and working with junior athletes at event, there's been heaps more interest, heaps more interest. And I think now that it's an Olympic sport and there is like this normalization of training and this normalization of, of exercise, um, land-based exercise conditioning in conjunction. And I was working with a junior athlete who's, who um, the actual state governing body suggested to her, yeah, you need to be doing land-based training as well. So it's kind of become a norm. So it's when I first started doing the Okigurum Pro, I remember parents were like, what, this is ridiculous. Some, some parents, not all parents, some parents were like, this is ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? You just surf. Like, that's what yeah, you need to do. That's what you, yeah. But yeah. now it's definitely changing. So, yeah. And, I, and parents want to do, you know, the right thing by their kids in general. Um, so definitely do, do a lot of, of chatting to parents. I'll run, I'll bring, they're involved in the surf screening. So I, I get the um, ability to educate both parent and, and child as we kind of go along. On the journey so yeah they it's a big learning process <laughs> yeah I think that's part of being a good coach is knowing that we're learning along the way as well that like you said you're looking for the gaps in the market and looking and trying to find who knows what sort of information so that you can learn and so that you can help bring that forward yeah yeah absolutely and it just takes one person who isn't in the box in terms of typical patterning or anything like that where you just go whoa I've whoa like I've, I've just learned something so new due to that individual um so yeah it's you're constantly learning and evolving always what are you excited about for in the near future with summer coming up now and competitions ramping up here in Australia for the QS for next year as well as QS starting for this year what are you looking forward to most <laughs> <laughs> good question one of our last questions hi don't really know the answer to that question because I'm kind of in in the in with with everything that I've got going on in life and in my business I'm just kind of going month by month by month um are you I doing do, her wave again next year I'm not sure what's going on with her wave um I'm not sure what's what's happening in terms of funding and whether that's going to run the same way that it did last year um that was an incredible incentive if that happened again um yeah, I'd be super stoked to kind of get on board. I really enjoyed, um, the, like, because I live in a little bubble here because I live in northern New South Wales, so really close to the Gold Coast. So if you're in the surfing industry, you live in this little bubble where there's, there's access to heaps of things. But when you go down to the south coast of New South Wales, like Marimbula, for example, like... They, yeah. So um, I really enjoyed going down there and catching up with them and sharing stories. So I would personally love to do um, more board riders stuff um, and linking with some board riders clubs. Um, but yeah, I love working on contests. I love the vibe. It's something really different because you've got this 20 minute window to work with somebody and really make a difference. So, you know, you've got to be really switched on and clear in the head and like ready to go and, and make big change really, really quickly. So yeah. it's high vibe, high energy. So yeah. And in some ways, I'm looking forward to kind of solidifying what I'm currently doing. I really want to get all my online programs and everything down pat. Mm -hmm. um, 
and get them kind of just just rolling over and being able to tweak them as I go along. Um, I've got another one that I'm kind of um, working on at the moment. So that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm focusing on summer. Oh my gosh, we're in spring. Yes, we are. August. <laughs> well, we're in September. Uh, are you looking forward to the Olympics being in Australia? And do you think that's going to be a massive Huge. boost to our industry? Huge. Yeah, without a doubt. You just see where money is being invested in the institutes of sport right now yeah. um, and the research that they're starting to look into as well. Um, because obviously I keep an eye on um, female-specific research projects and what's happening in the industry and there's a lot of investment going on in that right now. Huge That's now. awesome. So it's big, 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 big growth now. Yeah, for sure. And it was so well showcased in Japan. Yeah. Um, and I think our Australian athletes in particular were really, they all the athletes, all the surfing athletes really represented the countries really well. I just think it was really, really well represented at the Olympics and um, hats off to them. If, if, if I was somebody investing in, <laughs> in future research projects and I had nothing to do with the surfing industry, just based off that alone, I'd be happy to throw money at it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I agree with you. Um, there's another topic that I wanted to talk to you about, which I probably will ask if you'll be another guest, be a guest again for me. And that's how women and having children in the surfing industry, um, how, what that looks like, but that's a whole nother topic for yeah. a whole nother day. So, and there's a few spheres involved in that, you know, you can never separate the biology from the psychology, from the social environment. So yeah, there's a few spheres involved in that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. thank you very much for being with me today, Candice. That thank was really you. good. I hope that the information is useful to your listeners. Yeah. Absolutely. Where can yeah. people find you if they want to get in contact? Thefemalesurfer.com is the easiest way. And on Instagram, it's at thefemalesurfer. Those are the two main platforms I operate off. I'm not really all that good on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, I've got yeah heaps of cool stuff and heaps of, heaps of um, I call it consumer-driven information. So, so I really try with all my blog content and things like that to make sure that it's it's consumer driven. It's information that people are actually asking, asking for. So yeah, um, absolutely. They just want to go on there and have a read of some blogs and then reach out to me. That's that's perfect. So shoot your question in the DMs. Shoot me a question in the DMs. Yeah, or send me an email. Easy as. Awesome. Thank awesome. you very much for being with Thank me today, Candice. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Amongst the Waves. I would love for you to leave your review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help increase our rankings, let more people listen to the podcast and share the love.